Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Let me see if I can help you build a mental image of a fantastic photo I saw the other day. It was one of a series of photographs in a slideshow sent to me on the web through email. The series was called, obviously, Beautiful Photographs. I agree wholeheartedly. They were wonderful, obviously taken by a professional photographer and featured a myriad of scenes from all over the world. I wish that I could share them all with you you will see a unique representation in them of the handiwork of our God and his personal involvement in our world, his creation. The photograph that I wish to describe to you was of a round glass fishbowl, like people have in their homes sometimes. In the glass globe was a small goldfish, but with a large waving tail fin and large black eyes, clearly visible in the water contained in his fishbowl. The fishbowl was sitting in the middle of a table right in front of you at eye level, making a great picture of the fish sitting there in his bowl and staring at you. On the opposite side of the table, on either side of the fishbowl, was a small girl on the right side and an orange tabby cat on the left side. Both were astride the table, both were staring intently with great fascination, even curiosity, at the goldfish. Do you have that image in your mind's eye? I hope it is clear and inviting. Lovely colors, perfect focus, and the photographer had captured the magic of the moment exactly. On one side, the cat is obviously thinking how we might get that lovely-looking goldfish out of that bowl for a perfect fish dinner. As time moves on, the cat will learn that captive pet goldfish are not food, but belong to the cat's owners as pets and are therefore untouchable, and certainly not food. On the other side of the bowl, the child is just old enough to peer over the edge of the table, but having done so, she is more curious to learn about that strange, colorful, orange creature that seems to be able to live in liquid and float through it with ease but it is trapped within its bowl. You, you can almost hear the wheels churning in her little mind trying to figure it all out. As she grows, she will learn volumes of knowledge about this magnificent world God has made for her to enjoy and to live within, if her teachers don't mess it up first with lies about evolution. Do you see the dilemma set up and presented wonderfully by the photographer? I'll share more after this first song call.
Do you still hold that great picture in your mind's eye, the goldfish in its bowl in the center of the table, an orange tabby cat on one side and a curious little girl on the other, both watching the the fish swim in its restricted space, both fascinated by the fish, each, however, with vastly different agendas and motivation, one driven by natural instinct to survive and to be fed, not to be hungry, to have a meal on the table for dinner the other captivated by the novel creature swimming about in its bowl, oblivious to the danger lurking in the orange furry animal, eyeing it with desire. Sometimes I think we are like that. Both sides of the scene provided by the picture. On the one side, we are consumed by selfish desires, personal needs, oblivious to the small role that we play in the bigger scheme of life. All we can focus on is that thing in front of us that we want. Basic needs like the famous triangle defined by Maslow. Yet on the other side, there is usually something deep within us that wants to respond to higher, more spiritual needs. Our discernment, when not muffled by human needs, then allowed to explore and not blinded by selfish desires, can respond to the call of our Creator God. That famous God-shaped vacuum in each of our beings can be satisfied as we find our needs fulfilled by a loving God, a God who showers us with his blessings each day, who wants us to respond and to love him and to be enthralled by his wonders and his eminence and his glory. Are you more like the cat or more like the inquisitive child as you daily approach the things of God? Think about that today, won't you? And now with this message... For today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk to you about discipleship. And using the terms of my former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Dwight Pentecost, let me ask you, are you curious, convinced, or committed? Now it may surprise you, but today we use a term to describe the followers of Christ that was never used by Christ himself, and, of course, very little by his early followers themselves. Today we call ourselves Christians. Jesus never called his followers by that name. It was a term, most likely, that was imposed upon believers in Christ by unbelievers as a term of derision and not one of praise. The term, however, like the symbol of the cross, which was originally a symbol of disgrace, but is now a universal symbol of grace, so likewise the term Christian, originally used to belittle the followers of Jesus Christ, quickly became a term that distinguished believers as a uniquely special people of the highest moral character. The term literally means little Christ, or one who is like Christ. What a beautiful description of the believer in Christ. As Dr. Luke records in Acts chapter 11:26, and I quote, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. But notice now, although believers were first called Christians at Antioch, they were first called disciples. That was the name Jesus himself used to describe his followers. And in fact, followers is a meaning of disciple. It also means student or learner meaning a student or learner of or under a specific teacher, in this case of Jesus Christ. Disciples were also called simply the way. 
which quite probably reflected Jesus' teaching that he was the way, the truth, and the life, although we cannot be certain of that. But they were called the way. And so, as far as Jesus himself was concerned, a believer in him was a follower, a student or learner of him and his teachings. Notice, Jesus says, a true disciple is one who holds to his teaching. That is, one who constantly and consistently follow his teaching. One who obeys him at all times, regardless of the cost. And true discipleship does cost, my friends. In fact, Jesus says that it is imperative for a believer to count the cost of true discipleship before committing oneself to such a lifestyle. Listen to his words in Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25, where he is being followed by a large number of assorted disciples. In order to sort them out, or rather read out the mere curious from the convinced and the convicted from the committed disciples, Jesus first teaches them about the consequences of not counting the cost of being a true or committed disciples. And first he says, it could be very humiliating. Listen to verse 28, or verse 25 rather, of Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them he said, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. End of quote. And so clearly, Jesus says in his passage that some who called themselves his disciples did not believe on him. These were the curious disciples. They had heard about Jesus and simply wanted to check him out. So, in keeping with the culture of the day, they followed Jesus to learn more about him and his ministry. They became learners, students, or followers of Jesus, but they were not willing to respond to what they heard him teach. They had not yet committed themselves to him or his teachings. These were the disciples that Jesus described as having not yet believed in him, although they were called disciples. They were just curious. But second, Jesus says, failing to count the cost of discipleship could also be harmful. Verse 31. Suppose the king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. But third, Jesus says that a true disciple must be willing to give up his own physical life. Listen to what he says in verse 27. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, in New Testament times, the cross was the Roman form of capital punishment. When a person was seen carrying a cross, it was understood that he was on his way to his death. Thus, Jesus is saying that if anyone is to be a truly committed disciple, then he must be ready to die for him at any time. But now, it's important to note that Jesus taught that not everyone who called him or herself a disciple of his were, in fact, a true, genuine, committed disciple, even as is true of those who call themselves Christians today. Now, on the basis of this truth, as I mentioned earlier, 
Dr. Dwight Pentecost, a distinguished professor and my mentor while I was at the Dallas Theological Seminary, he divides disciples of Christ into three categories, curious, convinced, and committed. Let's look at a passage of scripture where this teaching is taught. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 57. I'll read some of the verses. You can check it in your Bible. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 57. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, notice carefully now, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Notice now, still speaking to those who were just described as disciples, Jesus says, There are some of you here who do not believe. For Jesus has known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Notice now verse 66. Quote, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Isn't that amazing? These people who were called disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They were not true disciples. But now there is another level of discipleship described in this passage. They are those who have in fact believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They were not simply curious or even merely professing disciples. They were convinced disciples, convinced that he was the promised Messiah. However, even these were not completely yielded or committed to his way of life. They were not yet ready to follow him all the way to the cross, as it were, as disciples. These are the ones that Apostle John says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They were not those Jesus described as true disciples in John 8. Listen as I read again verse 30 of John 8. Quote, Even as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. That's verse 30. Now listen to verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really or truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus also delineates the conditions for being a true disciple or a committed disciple. He says, first, a true disciple must give Christ priority over all family relationships. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. Now, friends, be careful here. Jesus is using a figure of speech to emphasize his point. He's not saying that a disciple must literally hate his father in order to be a true disciple. That would be a clear contradiction of many passages of scripture commanding us to do that very thing. No, my friends, what Jesus is saying here is that in comparison to a disciple's love for and devotion to Jesus Christ, all other relationships of love and devotion would seem as hate. He's emphasizing the depth of devotion to him and which was demanded of a true disciple. 
He was not de-emphasizing or belittling our love for members of our own family. But second, Jesus says the true disciple must give Christ priority over his own personal desires. Verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. End of quote. That's a heavy statement, my friends. But again, the same principle and figure of speech are being used here. A true, committed disciple must be unhesitatingly willing to lay aside all of his or her own personal desires, goals, or ambitions for the sake of Jesus Christ and his cause. Notice, Jesus, without this willing attitude, a person cannot be my disciple. Now that's very clear, very precise. He says, if anyone does not hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He is referring to a truly committed disciple, one who has progressed, grown, and matured through both the curious, unconvinced stages of discipleship. But fourth, Jesus says that a true disciple must be willing to give his own personal possessions as well. Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has, he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says that a true disciple must be willing to give up his personal possessions. Notice verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Notice again the absolute certainty of the text. He cannot be my disciple. My friends, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not just an ordinary thing. It is a unique, sacrificial commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. A true disciple must have the attitude that everything he or she possesses belongs to God. Everything. Things, possessions, money, job, everything. Now Jesus concludes his teaching on discipleship by, by comparing a person who turns back from following him after professing to be a disciple to salt that has become useless because it has lost its saltiness. And this, of course, is the very essence of what makes salt to be salt. Listen to what he says in verse 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What a quote. What is it, my friend, that makes a disciple a true or genuine disciple of Jesus Christ? It's his commitment to follow Christ regardless of the cost. And so Jesus is saying that if we make a commitment to follow him and then turn away from that commitment, then our discipleship is useless because it has lost the very core and essence of true discipleship, which is commitment, sacrificial commitment. In Jesus' day, salt was extracted from a white substance that washed up on the shores of the Dead Sea. But this substance also contained a lot of impurities as well, and so it was usually stored in heaps or piles out in the open. However, when it rained, the genuine salt was washed away, leaving only a heap of tasteless, impure substance. It was therefore useless and worthless, and so it was thrown away. And so, my friends, Jesus' teaching is clear. A disciple who has lost his or her commitment is useless and worthless to him. He or she is like a heap or pile of salt that has lost its saltiness and so is unable to provide flavor for food, fertilize land, or to preserve meat. 
A disciple is useless in the cause of Christ if he has lost his saltiness. He or she has nothing spiritually worthwhile to contribute to anyone, anything, or any cause. And so let me ask you as we close, in what category are you as a professing Christian or disciple of Christ? Or perhaps better, on what level of discipleship are you? Are you simply curious about Christ but still have not yet believed him in Him as Savior? Or are you convinced that He is your Savior and you are trusting Him as such, but yet you still allow hardships, difficulties, and problems to prevent you from following Him completely? Or are you a genuine, truly committed disciple who will follow Him and be true to Him regardless of what the cost is to you? My friends, the curious but unsaved disciple still has a chance for salvation but he or she is still useless to Christ and his cause at the present time. The convinced but uncommitted disciple still has a chance for full commitment, but they too are useless and worthless to Christ and his cause at the time. According to Jesus himself, the only useful and worthwhile disciple is the one who is at all times fully committed to him, and that that commitment comes only after carefully counting the cost. Only such commitment truly lasts, my friend. Now, we'll be talking more of this next week. But until then, I ask you, are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be It could happen in a moment.